Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I got a call after the program last week. I think it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. And it was uh, from a gentleman who, who asked to speak to me, and uh, the phone was handed over to me, and we commenced having a, a conversation where the gentleman told me, Lee, uh, I'm grateful to you for your show. I enjoy listening each day, but you have uh, woefully overlooked something. As you have discussed, all of the efforts that we are putting into combating this coronavirus, uh, you do so in very optimistic terms. You look brightly towards the future. You look with a, uh, a very cheerful disposition at what will be tomorrow. And uh, it was claimed on, during this phone call that I uh, had not been paying uh, due attention to the plight of those who have sunk into uh, poverty as a result of the, the coronavirus. Now, I did push back a little bit and I said, well, no, no, I, uh, we have talked at great length to those who are on the or who have been on the receiving end of, say, the unemployment payments, uh, those at the state level, plus those then supplemented by the federal government. Uh, I talked about how we here on this program uh, made sure all the details of the eviction moratorium, both at the state level and then later uh, from the federal government was put in place. Uh, and, well, the conversation continued nonetheless, and I was told a story uh, about a single father, a single father who, uh, with two children uh, working in the food service industry, found themselves uh, without a job. Uh, hours initially uh, cut back, uh, then schools not offering in-person education, ultimately leading uh, this man to, to need to stay home. Uh, to care for uh, his two children. And then that first uh, moratorium expired, the first eviction moratorium, that is, and the landlord uh, delivered to the man with whom I had a conversation on the phone, delivered uh, delivered the bill for the back rent. And it was more than this man could pay. And here is an interesting thing. The decision made by the man was not to fight but rather to uh, acknowledge that, you know what, you're, you're right, I, I do owe you this money uh, to stay in this home. The moratorium is over. You have every right to evict me, uh, but I can't pay you, and I am not a thief. I won't steal from you uh, the use of this apartment. And so it was that uh, this man who spoke with me and shared his, uh, his personal 
and difficult story, uh, let me know that he's going to have to uh, now as, as an older man with two uh, two children, a single father, uh, he has to move back in with mom. He has to bring his two children along with him and is unsure about what comes next. And as he shared that story with me, I realized that uh, that he was right, that I had not exactly uh, done all the due diligence and all the legwork to have a full and complete understanding uh, of the economic impact that this COVID virus has inflicted on us here in America and and beyond. You know, you and I have certainly all felt uh, the hurt to varying degrees. Uh, I'm not immune from that, um, but there are some, and you may be one of them. And I'd invite your texts and phone calls if you'd be willing to share your story. Five seven five zero zero is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. If you would uh, share your story with me, I'd be happy to hear it, 575-00. Later on in the program, we're going to open the phone lines for another topic. But if you, if you want to share uh, your story, say, with uh, Producer Amy, uh, maybe you and I could get on the phone and chat about it later on. We'll see about having a conversation right here on the air. Uh, the number there is 801-575-8255, 801-575-8255. But that conversation I had yesterday about the single father with the two children uh, out of job, uh, unable to pay rent, not wanting to steal from the landlord, uh, decided to vacate the premises and move back in with mom. Uh, it, it was a, a noble tragedy. I admired him uh, for his reaction to uh, the landlord. Told me too that there was a time where, uh, you know, before the decision was made to move back in with mom, uh, that he and his two children were, uh, were at the homeless shelter. And we've been speaking with representatives from uh, shelters throughout the state throughout this pandemic, and their numbers are, in fact, up. There are those who have been pushed into this level of poverty, and they're not alone. They're not alone. Depending on, depending on how you define poverty, there are two studies right now from uh, the University of Chicago and Notre Dame uh, that have found that poverty in the United States has grown by 6 million people in the past three months. Six million people. The commonalities between the definition of poverty there, uh, it really comes down to the ability to provide oneself and their family with uh, basic needs. Uh, Food, shelter, and clothing. Food, shelter, and clothing. Those have become challenging, challenging tasks for now some six million Americans. An economist from the University of Chicago says very simply that those numbers are troubling. Well, that's an understatement. They tell us people are having a lot more trouble paying their bills, paying their rent, and putting food on the table. On Thursday of last week, the Labor Department reported that 886,000 people filed new claims for unemployment benefits last week. That's an increase of nearly 77,000, or 9.5% from the previous week. Now, if you adjust for uh, seasonal variations, uh, the number only increases. Think what you will about the New York Times. They do, on this question of poverty in America as a result of the coronavirus, have done a very good job uh, documenting what's being experienced. The article includes 
uh, the statement that, quote, the recent rise in poverty has occurred despite an improving job market since May, an indication that the economy has been rebounding too slowly to offset the lost benefits. And now the economy is showing new signs of deceleration amid layoffs, a surge in coronavirus cases, and in this point here a deadlock in Congress over talks surrounding a new stimulus package. There's deadlock in Washington, and there are people having trouble feeding their children today. I understand deadlock. I understand negotiation. I've been in Washington. I have seen talks like this uh, delayed due to opposing parties and opposing views and wanting to uh, get the most for your position and your party. But what I haven't seen before are those deadlocks resulting in hunger pangs in the bellies of children. And if I hadn't received that phone call of last week, uh, spoken to a single father battling exactly these challenges, I don't know that I would have been knocked upside the head to wake up and uh, realize this reality. Let's hope things can get done here quickly. Because there are people without food, children without food. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, uh, we're going to be talking about yard signs. Yeah, political signs. Are they effective? Do you have them in your yard? Have you ever driven by a sign and thought, you know what? That's what pushed me over the edge. Count me in. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.